I'm Mel Stewart, and this is a GMM takeover of the Swim Swam podcast. Joining me is Coleman Hodges, and today we have the first black woman to make a U.S. Olympic swimming team, uh, break an American record, world record. Uh, she has a lot of a lot of accolades. We're going to get into that, but today we have Maritza Correa. Uh, thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking for the latest swim technology from the fastest brands? Find the right suit for you with Swim Outlet's 2020 Tech Suit Review. Available now at swimoutlet.com slash blog. So do we do we go by your married name or do we go by... You know, I kind of go back and forth. I think lately I've been going by my married name because I've been married for over 10 years now and everybody kind of like associates me with my married name now. So I've actually been going by Maritza McClendon lately. MaritzaMcClendon.com. You're an influencer. You're, you're a speaker. Um, you're available for any sort of uh, quotes in media. You're also a, a clinician. And... Um, you, so you have an active life, and if you need to reach her, go to MaritzaMcClendon.com. Don't forget it. Today, we're going to dive into some interesting topics, and uh, some uh, topics might be uncomfortable, but we, we want to we live in that uncomfortable space because we're in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd on May 25th, and uh, I think a lot of people are looking inward, and they want to have this conversation, and we really appreciate it. It's very gracious of you to come on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's definitely an important topic that uh, unfortunately continues to happen. And I think this is, uh, it's been one of those moments where people kind of really want to, they realize it a little bit more, I think, which is kind of sad. It's been so many, so many times, but um, I think a lot more people are into like, what can I do differently? How can I learn to be better? You know, teach me, you know, what, what are those actions that need to be done? So this is an important topic and happy to be here and talk about it. We're going, we're, going to, we're going to get right into that, but we want to let people know exactly who you are. Like off the top of the show, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping the big accolades, but you know, I, I am ashamed that I didn't know this. I had no, this is an amazing metric for swim nerds. You won every event in freestyle at the SEC championships, 50 to the 50 sprint to the 1650. Is that, that's correct? Yes, it is. First and only man or woman to do that. <laughs> Uh, with the Georgia Bulldogs, with Coach Jack Barley, uh, yep. the mayor of Athens, um, that yeah, is like probably that. the most. That's the most impressive metric in swimming that I think I've heard. That that that's definitely like you know if you're like dropping these crazy metrics, that that has to be a top five. Ah, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you have you have a, a, a deep experience in the sport of swimming, and it's. Um, so I, I, I did want to just get into it, it, it in terms of your background. When did you know, when did you have that aha moment? It's like, you know what? I could be great at this. Yeah, actually, it was a very distinctive moment when I was about 12 years old. I actually went to um, kind of the end of the season meet in December. We went to University of Florida. It was a winter international invite. Um, and it was, again, it was just the end of the year meet. I wanted to do my best times and just went in, swim, and funny enough, it was one of a longer swim. So it was a 500 freestyle versus my my favorite 50 freestyle. But I got up and I got my first junior national cut. And that was when I was kind of like, oh, I didn't even really, I felt like I didn't really try that hard. Like I wasn't going for my junior national cut. I was just going for a best time. And it ended up being, you know, my first junior national cut. And then, you know, the 
the additional cuts came with the 50 free, the 100 free, and, you know, and so on and so on. And then by the time I was 13, I made my first senior national cut. So that was kind of like that aha moment of like, okay, maybe I should start going to doubles. Maybe I should start taking practice a little bit more seriously. And Peter Banks, my coach at the time in, in Florida, he was just like, so what do you think about coming to some practice during the winters? And I was like, I guess we could try it. <laughs> I don't know how you go from that to Jack Barrowley entering you in the 1650 at SEC championships. How did that happen? Well, you know what? Peter Banks was actually known for coaching Brooke Bennett, who was a queen of distance swimming after Janet Evans. And, you know, she won Olympic gold medals in the 96 games as well as the 2000. And, you know, I had a distance background. So when I went to Georgia, I, you know, I went in my freshman year and he was just like, we need someone to swim the, the mile. Would you be open to? And I was like, you know, I'm, I've always been a team player. So I was like, sure, Jack, whatever you need, I'm here for the team. Let's, let's get some points on the board. And, um, I think I don't, I didn't submit at all the entire season. So my first time up was at SECs and it ended up being a phenomenal swim. So, um, but I told Jack, I was like, okay, this is your one and only cause I'm not swimming this again. <laughs> like This is it. We need to move towards a 50 freestyle, which didn't come into play until my junior year. Okay. These, these are, these are like these, you've, you, you've experienced everything in swimming. And uh, so I, 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 I want to refresh any young fans out there, any young swim nerds out there. They need to know this. Um, you know, we're going to get into some, uh, some topics and it's a, it's not your responsibility to, to educate uh, white swimmers or white people, but it's a, that's, that's, that's on us. We got to look inward and we got to, we got to get our own education. But if you can, if you can share some things with us that might help us on that journey, great. If not, you can, you can back off and say, you go there. Uh, I, when I think about your career and I think about, when I think about you personally, we, we have a personal relationship outside of this, which is just because you have, it's, it's not like competitive swimming, but you were also worked on the dry side a lot. Besides being an influencer and a speaker, you worked in, you work with some of the biggest brands in the sport. So we've engaged each other a lot, but it's a, uh, I never, you know, personally, I never considered, Hey, are you uncomfortable in certain settings? I never, it, it was never, it never, it never crossed my mind. So let's go back to when you were young and when you're on deck. You know, when I was swimming, there was Trevor Vreeland, there was uh, Byron Davis. And uh, it, it, I'm wondering if it was lonely, if it was uncomfortable at times. Could you, could you paint a picture where, where you said, hey, you know, I'm, I recognize I'm a little different and this maybe doesn't feel comfortable to me? Yeah, you know, I, I'll even go back to I started swimming in Puerto Rico. So I went on a team where it was honestly a lot of diversity. Families were from every background. Yeah, it was a Latino community, but there was still a lot of of varying cultures there. And so when I moved to the United States, when I was about nine years old, I immediately knew our family was different. I walked into a team where me and my brother were a handful of the black athletes on the team. So I think besides my family, there may have been two others um, in and out over a span of 10 years. So it, it's definitely something that I've noticed even from a very young age of every time I go to the pool, every time I go to a swim meet, um, I'm one of the few. I can count on my hand how many time, how many of us were actually at every single swim meet that I, that I swam at when I was younger, you know? And I think now like it's kind of changing, the, the tides are changing. There's definitely some, some more of us out there, but it's still like, 
you know, even like black officials, I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a new black official I haven't met. I always kind of go over and like chat with them and talk to them. It's kind of like a little click that we, it's like a commonality that we had. So I will say that, you know, being one of the few and having a different lens from everybody else, it can get lonely. You know, I think that there's experiences that I went through that I wasn't able to go to my teammates and say, you know, this happened to me and for them to be, be able to relate. Um, one instance in particular that happened to me and my brother, um, for those of you who don't know, my brother is a some coast, Justin Karaya down in Florida, uh, Southwest Stars. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we were on the pool deck. I was probably about 10 years old. Um, my brother was in high school. And, you know, I, this was a time where I was starting to really be one of the top athletes at, at most of the local meets that I went to. So I was coming home with like a bunch of gold medals, beating swimmers that, you know, hadn't been beaten in years. And I had a mom who came up to us and said, why are you guys here? Why don't you guys go play basketball? Why don't you go to the track? You know, it was kind of one of those moments where she was just like, you're beating my kid. Why don't you go do a sport that you're supposed to be at? So it started from a very young age of people just um, making sly comments and, and just being unfortunately ignorant about the whole situation. And it's like, I wasn't seen as a swimmer at the pool. I was seen as the black girl, right. That was beating, um, the, the other kids. So, and, and, and what, what's important. So you, you experienced this, you took this on, mm-hmm. you, you, you internalized it. This enters your body, this stress, uh, you, you didn't, you said you couldn't talk to your teammates about it at the time. That was like, you, uh, did yeah, you have, it, who did you lean on? Who did you lean on? If you couldn't lean on them, did you lean on anyone else? I didn't, I didn't lean on anybody. You know, that that's and that's part of my personality. Unfortunately, I dealt with a lot of issues growing up, even with, you know, I had a lot of peer pressure from my dad, unfortunately. So I I grew up being, you know, my outlet was going to my room and bawling my eyes out and just kind of dealing with it internally. And the situations like that that arise, same thing. I would come to my room and just deal with it on my own because I didn't have an outlet. I didn't I didn't know that there was other people that were going through this. You know, I didn't, I couldn't pick up the phone and call somebody or go on social media and, you know, you know, see what everybody else is dealing with type of thing. It was, it was literally, I was by myself the whole time. So there was a lot of pressure. I mean, even as I started to get, you know, a little bit faster in my swimming and all these articles started coming out, heading into 2000 trials of who's going to be the first black person to make the, the U.S. Olympic teams. So it was coming from like every single angle. It was, it was a topic of of discussion for every interview that I did. Um, it was always, you know, top of mind. So, you know, I dealt with it a lot. Um, unfortunately I didn't have any outlets, but I think, you know, as these situations continue to arise, I think that there's going to be opportunities where we can build a resource for summers. We can build a resource for coaches to have these difficult discussions. I know that, that people still say, um, ignorant comments, unfortunately, microaggressions all the time. And now it's about identifying them and stopping them and figuring out like, how do we have those conversations so that people are aware of what everybody's dealing with? You know, everybody's perspective and everybody's lens is completely different. I'll tell you, I had another incident, um, even when I got older and it was at ultra swim. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, I remember going to that meet and there was a black event going on. So the hotel that we stayed at, there was, we walked in from, uh, the meet one night and there was a lot of black people in the, in the lobby. And I remember walking to the elevator with my teammates and I'm not going to name any names, but one of them in particular walked up and like kept hitting the elevator button. 
like could not wait to get into the elevator. And as soon as the elevator door opened, we all, the entire, you know, me and my teammates walked in um, and then the doors closed and all of a sudden my teammate dropped the N word. She's like, there's so many in the lobby. I can't believe this. And it was one of those moments where I, I was speechless. I couldn't believe that somebody had said that. And I didn't have the courage to even say anything either. I was immediately one of those people that was like, I'm just going to be quiet. You know, like I, you know, unfortunately I don't understand how my teammate would feel uncomfortable being around people that look just like me, you know, when I'm constantly around people that look just like her or him, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, name any names, but that was, that was definitely one of the toughest moments, um, that I had to deal with. And I didn't tell anybody for years, even like when I did my speeches and spoke to, you know, kids and adults, I never shared that experience until recently, but it was, it's definitely one of those moments where I was like, man, I I wish I could go back and do things a little bit differently, but you know, those, unfortunately those situations continue to happen even to this day. Um, so, um, Listening to you, the takeaway that I'm hearing is that uh, you didn't feel safe about sharing that mm-hmm. until now. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I feel like people are more open to listening now. So my safe spaces are becoming more. There's more safe spaces out there, but it's definitely. It was, it definitely wasn't there back then. And it was definitely not something I didn't even share it with my parents. I didn't share it with, you know, my coach, Peter Banks at the time. Like it, it was literally something that I just dealt with at, at, on my own. I didn't feel like I could share, share that moment or even have anybody understand what was going on. And the weird, the interesting thing too, is, you know, one swimmer did say that, but my other teammates didn't stick up for me either. You know, so it was like, all of us didn't take the time to, you know, kind of nip it in the butt and say like, why would you say something like that? It's inappropriate. And, you know, go from there. It's uh, so, so we have, um, I have someone says I'm not racist there. Uh, there there's, there's, there's a difference that there's, there's non-racist and there's anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you're white, there's a scale. It's like being, you know, you say being non-racist means you're completely inactive. You hear these things, you witness these things, you do nothing. Being anti-racist is that you call them out. And if you're white, I think during this, period where America basically erupted in flames and then also in beautiful protests. But it's uh, the, the looking inward is like, where, where are you on that scale? Because you want to be, you want to be anti, you want to be anti-racist. You want to be active. You want to call this out. Um, so, so it's, uh, sorry, let, let's, let's bring it to present day. And, and you know, we're, we're in the midst of the COVID shutdown. And uh, where everyone's depressed and dealing with, you have young children, so you're at home and you're dealing with this, and this happens. Uh, what, what, what was your process? You know, how, how are you responding to this? Did people reach out to you during this time? What, take us through it. Yeah, I will say that I, I had every emotion possible going through me when I heard about George Floyd. Um, it, it, you know, unfortunately, so when Trayvon Martin was killed, my son had just been born and I immediately had put a hoodie on him and was like, I looked at him and I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, he's about to grow up in these situations. And I mean, how am I going to prepare him for this? And then now we're here eight years later and we're hearing about George Floyd and, uh, and, and many others that continue to just keep on every single year. It's somebody. 
Um, and I remember this incident in particular, it seemed like more people wanted to respond, right? So I'll give you an instance, you know, my, the place that I work at had a response. You know, we put out a post and it was very PC. Um, unfortunately, I didn't feel like it represented how I felt. Um, you know, and, and I, and I made my voice heard. I think any other time I would have been like, okay, you know, that's what the company's going to say. And, and I'll just go along with it. I, I think this instant, I was just fed up. I was like, if I continue to not say anything, we're going to continue down the same path. Like this is a time for, it's more than just words. People need to take action. So I dealt with that on the company level. Now coming home to my family and just looking at my kids, I'm bringing up two black kids. I'm married to a black man who unfortunately has that stereotypical of the scary black guy that's walking into the room. He's 6'4", 240. Yeah, Bell, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. I mean, we definitely get the stares. So for me, it was hard to explain to my kids who are six and eight that this is happening. And it was even harder to explain to them to, to not even have a true reason as to why. You know, George Floyd wasn't fighting back. You know, it, how do you explain to your son, like the cops, the cops did that to him, but he wasn't even doing anything. He wasn't fighting back. You know, it was just something that happened. That was really tough. Um, and, it, and it took a really big emotional toll on me. And then also too, with my husband, I think one of the hardest things that, that I realize is every time he walks out the door now, I wonder, is he going to come back? You know, and, and he likes to... I'm going to calm down. Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) No, it's okay. Take a breath. It's all right. But you know, like when he, he loves to go mountain biking. Now I'm like, okay, Chad, you need to put your tracker on because I need to know where you're going to be in case something happens. And it's sad to have to think about situations like that, but that's the reality of like our life right now, especially it's, it's always been like that, but I think now it's even heightened because there is, you know, unfortunately the political climate has also given the voice to to others for it to be okay. And at the same time, we're all also fighting to have the other voices say like, no, it's not okay. Things have to change and they need a, they need action behind them. So it's, it's been an emotional roller coaster, Mel. Like I can't even tell you the, how many times I've been crying and just emotionally drained, exhausted, but at the same time, I continue to have these conversations. I, I appreciate you bringing this conversation to your podcast. And I also working with USA Swimming, I'm working with diversity and aquatics, I'm working at my job having these discussions of like what can be put into place to not not only just educate people, but how do you support, you know, the black communities? How do you support, you know, the LBGTQ communities? Like how how do you put things in place that can, you know, reduce these things from happening? I don't think that it's going to cut everything off right from the get-go. I think this is years. Like I'm thinking, you know, the little girl that's going to be born today, what kind of environment is she going to have, you know, you know, in 10, 15, 20 plus years, you know, what, what can we do to help her situation so that not that she has to continue to deal with it, but that she has better resources to manage it. It's uh, as, as you're talking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking in terms of uh, uh, trauma, I'm thinking in terms of, of therapy, so that, you know, there's trauma, there's war trauma, there's there's trauma because there's a death of a a, a catastrophic death or a so we know what this, the, the trauma is, but there's also complex trauma and complex trauma is environmental, 
It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's when you're bracing against something that is always a threat and you internalize it and you don't have a pressure valve, which is why I was asking about this, what I was thinking. It's a great book by Resma Minikim. I, and if I've, if I've said his last name wrong, I'm so sorry. He's a, he's a, he's a black man. He's a therapist. You, I, he wrote My Grandmother's Hands. I don't know if you know the book. No, but, I don't. So this is like, so uh, white people should read this book um, because it's a, it, it talks about trauma and holding on to, and, and, and what this trauma does to black bodies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you should be aware of it. It's a good, it's a good starting place on the journey for education, but mm-hmm. it, but it, what it does is it gives you the full scope. It goes back 500 years further. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, what's interesting in talking to friends and talking to, to anyone is that uh, in the black community, when the Black Lives Matter movement is that we've traveled through time and the universe to arrive at this moment. And white people are like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're protesting, but it, it, it feels it, sometimes it feels almost trendy. It feels almost like it's mm-hmm. inauthentic. And, 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 and in the black community, black lives Matter movement, people are sober. And I hear it from you. I take a generation more. You're like, yeah, okay, we're here, but we're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's sad to hear, but but you're still fighting. The res- you're feeling feeling that responsibility. Uh, you were you were a sister at Sigma Gamma Rho. They have yeah. a relationship uh, with USA Swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a tiny, vital, important thing that needs to have more influence in our sport. Can can you take us through that and explain that relationship? Yeah, so Sigma Gamma Rho partnered with USA Swimming to create an initiative that we call Swim 1922. And it's a partnership that's geared towards going directly into our Black communities, targeting our moms and educating them about water safety. So you think about, you know, back in the 60s and segregation was happening and and that generation didn't really have swim. They didn't think water was part of the conversation or they they became fearful of the water. So with this Swim 1922 partnership, we're able to say, okay, look, 64% of black kids don't know how to swim. 45% of Hispanic kids don't know how to swim. And also if the parent doesn't know how to swim, there's only a 19% chance that your child will learn how to swim. And when I do these, when I do these clinics, we offer free clinics across the entire country. Sigma Gamma Rho has chapters located everywhere, internationally even. Um, But when I do these clinics, I always say, what would you do if you're at a pool party and your child is struggling to breathe and you don't know how to swim? Are you going to jump in and save them? Or are you going to jump in and also become a victim? And I think people don't realize that, well, I'm going to get my kids to learn how to swim because they need to learn how to swim. And it's like, well, even swimmers can get into trouble in the water, right? So why don't you learn how to swim as well? So that's why I love so, love this program so much is that you know, there's a lot of programs out there that are trying to get kids to learn how to swim. But at the same time, we also need our adults to learn how to swim. This is a family affair. Never too late to learn how to swim. Um, and I think that this this partnership has been great. I can tell you in 2012, I made asked a question of how many in this room don't know how to swim? Every, almost everybody's hands went up. And this is a room of over a thousand black women 
a few black men are sprinkled in there as well. Um, but then now here we are. And, you know, my last clinic was in 2019 because of COVID. Um, <laughs> but now I say, you know, how many of you don't know how to swim? And there's a few. And now I've kind of sp spun it to say, how many of you know somebody who doesn't know how to swim? Because everybody's hand eventually does go up. And it's like, that's the, that's why we continue to do what we're doing. Like you have to get not just your family, you got to get your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, everybody needs to come learn how to swim. It's such, it's an important skill for us. It's a sport for everybody else. It's a life-saving skill. So, and if, if you want to, if you want to engage Maritza and you want to, you want to, you want to be on a book a speech, you want to book a clinic, you, you, you want it from the woman who was the first black woman to win an Olympic medal, make the Olympic team world American record holder. You want Maritza, go to Maritza, come, Maritza McClendon.com and you can find that information there. All links are there. It's a beautiful website. The, uh, I, I, I do, what, what fascinates me um, about your experience, and I appreciate you giving us the full gamut from childhood all the way up to present day, and very moving. But let's go back to the pressure. I, the, the, being a white guy, Having you know, living in the in the world of like walking through the world of white privilege and not being aware of anything, it's just like you know, life's great. Uh, still, the pressure to to ascend to and make an Olympic team is extraordinary. Uh, it's like your table is full. The stress table is full. I can't imagine someone walking up to me and going, "We're going to put one more large thing on this that you have to deal with." Uh, what is that like? especially being the first back in 2004 at the Athens Olympics, that media story, you see it's mentioned every single time. What's it like? Do you know when, when if reporters asking a question, do you, do you just kind of get crestfallen or do you want to embrace it? What was that? Take us there. Yeah. You know, I think initially the conversation started, you know, I would say, 98, 99, because we're heading into 2000 Olympic trials. There was a few of us that were, you know, gunning for that, that first title. So you had Anthony Irvin, you had Byron Davis, you had Mike Norman, Sabir Muhammad, myself, um, Tanika Jameson. I mean, I could name a few, which is, which is great. You know, we were all vying for that, but there's always kind of, um, it's, it's additional pressure. You know, it's tough to deal with. It's, it's one of those things where I really had to focus in on why, what am I doing at trials? I'm trying to make the Olympic team. Icing on the cake would be to make history as well. And I think that was the the, the part where I had to kind of separate things is like, okay, first and foremost, I need to, I need to make this Olympic team, you know, and then we start to discuss the, the, you know, the history making portion of it after, but I will tell you in 2000, all those pressures that were on the table, that's what made it so hard for me to make the team. And that's why I didn't make the team. It was like, you know, the pressure from my dad, the pressure from the media, you know, the pressure I put on myself, <laughs> even, you know, it's, it, it was definitely um, hard to deal with. And I was one of those people that didn't talk to anybody else either. You know, everybody saw me as a person who was always smiling and having a good time. And I felt like I always had to put up this front of like, I'm okay. And, um, and I dealt with everything by myself, but come you know, after that, that disappointment in 2000, I was able to talk to somebody about it. I went and got professional help, which, you know, we talked about earlier. taking care of yourself mentally is so important and it sh you shouldn't feel ashamed to have to go get professional help for that. Um, I highly recommend it. It made a world of a difference to be able to just get all that stuff off my chest and to 
have it out in the open where it wasn't something that I was internally dealing with, but I could talk to somebody and like, they, they would give me, you know, very, very great feedback of like, well, let's try this or let's try, you know, working on some, some more confidence, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, you know, you set up a plan and then come 2004, my mindset went from in 2000, having all these pressures to, in 2004, this is my goal. This is my dream. I want to make the Olympic team. What comes after it, we'll deal with at the time. And when I made history in 2004, I, I said this in my very first interview, right off on the pool deck. I said, I'm proud to be the first, but I don't want to be the last. So I embraced it. And, and I will tell you, Mel, like I had no idea how important that history making moment was until I met Sigma Gamma Rho in 2012. Like that's, that's like unbelievable. I made it in 2004 and I was like, Hey, I made the Olympic team. I was the first black girl. And, you know, I did a couple of clinics here and there, um, mainly to white swim teams. You know, I, I went into white neighborhoods. I went into white high school. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't the target that I, I wanted to, to do. It, it, I always told you, told you I say something. I was like, I need to go into the black communities. I need to make an impact there. That's where my story makes a difference. And and I just kind of like internalized that moment, even from 2000, 2004, all the way to 2012. And then I finally met these ladies and they're like, do you know what you've accomplished? And I had that other aha moment in my life where like, you're right, this is a big deal. And that's when I started to be, make a, a bigger name for myself and become a bigger voice in this space and just making it my life mission to get more, more black kids, more black communities um, swim safe, right? I think that it's great that, I'm sure we'll find an Olympian down the road, but most importantly, it's about being swim safe. And I think that's that's my number one goal right now. We have, we have to bring Coleman in here because his first clinic from from an Olympic medalist was Coleman. Really? Go ahead. Uh, from you, yeah, yeah. No you, you you came to. Uh, I, I mean, admittedly, it it was one of those white communities you talked about. You came to Columbia, Missouri, with with Rowdy Gaines. And uh, and I vividly remember him him bragging on you about being the the only person to win fifty through the mile uh, oh, at a, at a conference championship. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! Look at that small world, full circle. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Coleman. That's awesome. Uh, small Absolutely. world. It's, yeah, no, no. It's it, this happens all the time. We were on with with Reese, and and uh, we did it. It's some some peers did a clinic and I did a clinic and you totally forget about it. You forget that you, you reach out to kids and it's a pretty nice moment. Yeah. It's a, uh, so I, when I, when I, when I think of you, it's, it's, it's a, you're, you break the seal. You, you, you just step beyond the threshold and you make history. And, uh, Coleman and I have favorites and in, in currently in swimming right now. <laughs> and it's a, we're down to seven minutes and it's a, uh, but I have to hear from you. It's like Simone Manuel is such an, it's a massive star right now. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, like how, I'm not going to say that it couldn't happen without you, but it's like, that's uh you, you must, you must feel proud when you watch her. You must, it must feel like a religious experience. Oh my gosh. Like she, she's phenomenal. I, it's crazy because I remember watching Simone and I was at trials and she, she did the whole like outside lane to make the team. And like, I just felt like I was watching myself all over again. And then she went on to the Olympics and got gold in 2016. And the first thing out of her mouth was, I want to thank Maritza Karaya and Colin Jones. I was like, Ugh! every single emotion <laughs> came out. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, 
you know, and I've, I've, I got a chance to know Simone, learn and, and meet Simone and get to know her personally over the years, even before that moment. And, you know, she's, she's a powerhouse. She's definitely got a mindset of like, she, she has this goal and she's going to go for it and not let anybody stand in her way. And I, I appreciate that from her. You know, I think that's one of the biggest struggles that I had growing up was I felt like I was in, in my little corner trying to fight for, for the spotlight or try to fight for a lane or try to fight for a medal, those kinds of things. And she's just like, I'm going to go for it. This is, um, this is my moment. And then I, I love how she's using her platform to be very vocal, especially right now of just, you know, making people aware of black history in general and, and understand that the times have to change. And, and I love that about her and she's still swimming fast and can't wait to see what she does next year. I'm going to say something that makes people really upset. Coleman, you can join in if you want to. You can just sit back. But I, I, my personal opinion is that when she competes, I have a I have everyone's very, very critical of swimmers and their splits and their times and what they're doing and who's doing what. And I think that uh, I get in media that people are hypercritical of her as a swimmer. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the color of her skin, but it's hypercritical about her. And it's always made me, it's frankly, it's always made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, do, do you feel like that, that there is like, okay, you're not being, someone's not criticizing you for your, the color of your skin, but they're, but you're getting more criticism in other areas. And you're like, I don't know about this. This, this doesn't, doesn't pass the smell test. You know what yeah, I'm saying? You know, I, I have that a lot. I think that, um, even to this day, it's, People may say it's not because of the color of your skin, but it is, to be honest. It's, it's the underlying reason. Um, we have, unfortunately, as a Black woman especially, we have to be on point every single time. The minute we mess up, we are criticized 800 times more than any other athlete. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the reality of what we've grown up to do, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, things will start to change. But People will criticize us. Serena Williams is criticized more than any other athlete for for who she is, how vocal she wants to be vocal, you know. And, and it's unfortunate, you know. We we have opinions, we go through things, we have not so great swims, we have not so great meets. But when when we're shining, it's like you want to bring up all these good things about being the first black athlete to do this and that. And then when we don't shine, it's like we are the one of the worst athletes out there and they will pick apart every little detail about about you i i mean i had it growing up all the time too you know i I have uh news articles of like (laughs) me not making the 2000 olympic games and like all these 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 headlines of you know she could have done better or which mertha failed or mentally just wasn't ready and like i mean you name it and it, it those things are hard to deal with but um you know i will say that that for me personally, I'm so accustomed to it. Like I know I have to try twice as hard as my, my white counterpart, you know, whether it's at work or it was in the pool, um, you know, and, and I'm very, very aware of that. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. In terms of where we're at right now and in terms of resources that you could point people to, um, do you have resources? I mean, maybe you can go to your site, maritzamcclendon.com. But uh, can you think of other resources that you might want to share with people, educate themselves or to make a difference in swim or outside of swim? Yeah, you know, I will say I love what um, our swimmers are doing now. Swimmers for Change, 
bringing light to a lot of um, social injustice organizations, um, having great conversations, and not just with Black swimmers. You are having your white swimmers along the ride as well and just sharing their their take on things and wanting to be educated. Um, honestly, I think that social media, everybody can, it's, it's at your fingertips, right? Just research Black athletes, research Black swimmers, research Black history, check out the NAACP, check out uh, Campaign Zero, you know, like, there's so many things out there. The knowledge is out there. You just have to be willing to go find it. So you can definitely reach out to me. I'm always open for a conversation. This, you, like you said earlier, go to MarissaMcClendon.com. That's the best way to reach me. I'm also on social media. Find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything like that. I mean, we're, we're here. Internet, internet has made us all connected and um, the teachable moments are out there and the actionable moments are, are yet to come. And we should say that if you want everything, it's, you can go to MarissaMcClendon.com. Swimmers for Change, just Google Swimmers for Change. It'll take you right there. They have a long list of, of links you can click on. Thank you. One, one, so, wait, one oh, last, yeah, one last yep. thing to add. Sorry. <laughs> to say, follow Simone. She is doing fantastic with like sharing some Black history moments. And, you know, just find those athletes because they are sharing it. So it's great. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. Thank you for coming on. Will you come back? Of course, Mel, you got me. You, you know, you know, you can reach out for me for anything. All right. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. Thanks, Mel. Have a good one.